Please remain standing for scripture reading. Today we're looking into the book of John, one of my favorites. Um, <laughs> chapter 7, verses 37 to 39. Uh, the setting is in Jerusalem at the Feast of Booths, seven days of feasting. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believe in him were to receive. For as yet the Spirit has not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. God praise the reading of his word. Thank you. Thanks, John. Well, at this time, we'll go ahead and release the kids to their class, the preschoolers on up to fifth grade. And if, uh, if you're new with us, uh, we want to encourage you, go ahead and, uh, and you can follow your child, if you'd like, to the classroom that they're going to. Um, if not, just want to encourage you, they're in good hands, and, um, and they'll be, uh, you can meet them, or they'll actually be released after we're done with the service this morning. Uh, it's a blessing, this third Sunday of Advent, and um, this morning we're going to continue in our Advent series. I'm going to scoot this forward a little bit. I feel like I'm way behind you guys, so um, I'm going to bring this up a little bit. I couldn't quite tell what was wrong there for a minute, and so I was like, man, not to mention there's some chairs missing, so it was a little bit different. But um, we're going to continue in our series this morning, Come, Christ is Born for You, and if you recall, the song, O Come All You Unfaithful, which we just sang together, is the heart of our Advent series. Um, wherever you are, whether you're coming as one who is seeking to know God and His truth, whether you're struggling to walk with God faithfully, or you're actively growing in your relationship with Him, Christ is calling you to come. And that's the beauty of this season is that we focus on that truth that Christ is calling us to come, each one of us. And so today we're going to focus on God's goodness through his truth that Christ is born for our abundance. And while the world may define abundance through those things they possess, God provides abundance and defines it through the one we possess. And so John 7, verse 37 through 39, which John just read, makes it clear that abundance comes from Jesus through his life-giving spirit. Abundance comes through Jesus, or from Jesus, through his life-giving spirit. Abundance is Jesus' life. It is the life of Jesus where we find abundance. He is the one that is born for you. He is the one who is born for me. 
And so as this passage begins, Jesus has just gone up to Jerusalem from Galilee to celebrate the Feast of Booths, or what is often referred to as the Feast of Tabernacles. And at this time, in verse 1, it makes it clear that the Jews were seeking to kill him. They had already seen his miracles. They already heard his claims that he was the Messiah. And they go to kill him. They seek to kill him. And so after his brothers leave to attend the feast, verse 10 tells us, then he, that is Jesus, also went up, not publicly, but in private. Verse 14 continues, about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up up into the temple and began teaching. So halfway through this seven to eight day feast, Jesus goes into the temple and begins to teach. Now he does so knowing that there are those that are seeking to kill him. Now the Feast of Booze was to remind the people of God's saving and sustaining provision of water as the Israelites wandered in the desert for 40 years. Leviticus 23, verse 33 through 36 says, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, saying, On the fifteenth day of this seventh month, and for seven days in the Feast of Booze to the Lord... On the first day shall be a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. On the, for seven days you shall present food offerings to the Lord. On the eighth day you shall hold a holy convocation and present a food offering to the Lord. It is a solemn assembly. You shall not do any ordinary work. Now, on each day of the feast, the feast of the booze, the reason it was called that is that the Israelites would go and they would stay in these small little booths to remind them of their time in the wilderness where following Jesus, excuse me, following God's removal, miraculous removal of the Israelites from captivity in Egypt, they go into the desert and they wander in the desert for 40 years. Remember, that was not the initial plan. They wandered in the desert for 40 years because they disobeyed the Lord once they got into the desert. And they longed for the past. They longed for the security that they could see, that they could essentially accept. And God was saying, I'm right here. I'm the one that delivered you from all of that. And yet you've disobeyed out of fear and out of complacency. And in their wandering, what's amazing is that God was continuing to provide for them. And so they would go into these booths for seven days as a reminder of the work that God had done in the wilderness. And the the feast of the the booths, what it was about, was was about the reminder of God's saving and sustaining provision. Specifically, it was about the fact that he provided water for them in the desert. And so what they would do on each day of the feast is they would take a pitcher of water and that pitcher of water would be taken from the pool of Siloam and carried via a processional to the temple where it was poured onto the altar as a remembrance before the Lord, an offering of remembrance before the Lord. They would take this water as a reminder of how God had sustained them through the water in the desert. Now coming to our passage today, Verse 37 begins, On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. So on this eighth day of a solemn assembly here, which we're told, now they've come out of their booths, 
and they come out of their booths as a celebrate as out of their out of the booths because of the celebration. They come now after the seven days, and they're celebrating before the Lord in a solemn assembly. This is now on the eighth day, the great day. It was the conclusion of the three great festivals or feasts of that given year. And the solemn assembly was for the purpose of being reminded that they were coming before the Lord and what was needed was a turning to the Lord. That after these celebrations, they were to cry out to God and turn to Him and be reminded that by turning to Him, He would meet their needs. And this is the framework for when Jesus stands up. Now what's unique is it's one of the few times in Scripture that we see Jesus cry out. There was a sense of urgency with what he was saying. We know that he cried out on the cross. But in this moment, he cries out. And he says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. If anyone thirsts, It's an offer that he's giving to everyone. Now, there were those that would have understood what he was saying. When they were in the desert wandering, the people were desperate. They were in despair. They were hopeless. They feared for their lives, and they had no way of sustaining themselves in the desert. But when God provides the water through the rock, Moses is told to take and to strike, to say, here comes the water, in fact, the water. And we know that Moses doesn't eventually even hand himself correctly in this. But from the rock flows this water. And they drink of this water. And it sustains them. And Jesus is saying, I am the one who saves and sustains you. I am the fulfillment of this. Now you have to thirst before you see the need for a drink. The only reason you drink is because you're thirsty. Now sometimes we can actually overdo it, can we not? When we're not thirsty, water has a different kind of effect. It bloats us, does it not? When we're thirsty and we drink of it, it's refreshing it provides energy. It saves. Stephen Cole points out, at first glance, being thirsty for God seems easy enough. But the problem is, because of sin, people either don't recognize their thirst or they seek to satisfy it in wrong ways. John Piper's dad, who was an evangelist, told him that the most difficult thing was not getting people saved, but getting them lost. In other words, people don't sense their desperate need for Christ. They don't feel thirsty for him. Instead, they try to quench their thirst with many wrong things. They think that success, money, fame, sexual pleasure, and other things will satisfy the inner thirst. But thirsting for things other than God and His glory is the root of all sin. The Frontier Group did a recent study which found that America currently produces so much food that we can't eat it all. We grow so much corn that one-third of it goes not to feeding humans or animals, but to powering machinery. 30 to 40% of all food simply goes to waste. 
and America has somehow been able to accumulate, check this out, this rocked my world a little bit. I kind of like it and yet hate it altogether. Somehow we've been able to accumulate a billion pound strategic cheese reserve. (laughs) Despite putting cheese on or in seemingly every food product imaginable. I like cheese, you can tell. But I can't account for all billion pounds. But think about that. They go on in their study and they say most Americans now have access to virtually infinite online content at their, finger, at content at their fingertips. Yet rather than becoming the happiest and well-informed people in the world, we're increasingly a sleepless, anxious, and insecure lot of stewing different information and hopped up on online rageaholicism. There is an abundance, but that abundance is not what brings satisfaction. That abundance is not what saves and sustains. You see, Jesus was calling those who saw that this life can't satisfy to life in him. He's the one who saves and sustains, and he is the fulfillment of Isaiah 12, 3, which says, with joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Where does joy come from? From the wells of salvation. That's what he's saying. Your joy can't come from anything else. It will all end. We've seen this. We know people where the one thing they do is they pursue one thing and then they, they get tired of that and then they pursue the next thing and they get tired of that and they pursue the next thing and they get tired of that. But each time they invest in each of those things, they invest everything that they have. but it never satisfies. I remember watching an ABC interview years ago with Tom Brady after he won his first Super Bowl. It still breaks my heart to this day. He said, I lived my entire life to win the Super Bowl. That was the pinnacle of everything that I've done in my life. High school, college, comes in as this basically back-end player that nobody thought was going to be good, gets his chance, goes to Super Bowl and wins it his first year. And he sits in this interview in ABC and he says, there has to be more to this. They asked him, "Are are you satisfied? And he said, I don't know. I thought it was going to be more than it was, but we won a game and it was gone the next day. There has to be more to this. What happens is, is sometimes we recognize that there has to be more to this, but we just keep jumping on the same hamster wheel. We don't take time to actually see that things that we're pursuing for satisfaction and for sustenance and for our joy will never satisfy, will never suffice apart from Jesus. You see, Isaiah 12, three is clear. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. With joy you will draw water from the wells of salvation. Where does your joy come from? 
It comes from the one who provides salvation. John 10.10 adds, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. What Jesus is offering here is abundant life. He's sharing, listen, you want true joy in life? I'm going to offer it to you. You want abundance? You're going to find it in me, not in the things of this world. Abundance is not found in the things of this world, but it is found in the person of Jesus. That's God's word. I think so many of us try to find it in other things. And so the abundant life that Jesus offers first calls you to come, calls me to come to him in faith to satisfy your or my thirst. The abundant life Jesus offers calls you to come to him in faith to satisfy your thirst. To satisfy your thirst means to gratify it to the full. To gratify it to the full. That's why abundant life can be existed even in the midst of suffering. That when we suffer, we can still experience the joy that is provided through Jesus. The peace that is provided through Jesus. The very thing that we're looking for is found in the person and work of Jesus. And so he says, come to him. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Jeremiah 2 verse 13 says, For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me. Now listen to this. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters. Who have they forsaken? The fountain of living waters. They've forsaken Jesus, the Messiah. And hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. How do we forsake God? We forsake God by looking for that satisfaction, that sustenance, that salvation, that life in anything other than Him. It could be in a home. It could be in the approval of others. It could be in sexual pleasure. It can be in work. It can be in a hobby that we, we enjoy. All of those things can take the place of Jesus and all of those things we can seek to try to give us life. Jeremiah 2 says, for my people have committed two evils. They've forsaken the giver of life. That's one evil. And then they've turned to things that can't give like life, broken cisterns. That's the second evil. So one is, is that they've turned away from the one that God has given to us. That is Jesus, the Messiah. And the second thing is that not only have we just ignored Jesus, but we've turned towards a different idol, a broken cistern, to try to do what only Jesus can do. So what does it mean to drink then? Well, drinking here is really the idea of taking it in, 
of taking Jesus in, of coming to him in faith, in trust, relying on him, seeing him as our sole source. John MacArthur explains that drinking means to take him, receive him, make him your own, embrace him. That's a sentiment that every Christian can understand. I came, I drank, I took in Christ. It begins by us coming to him. Now what's unique about this is that we're told in 1 Corinthians 10, 1 through 4, that the Israelites, when they were in the wilderness and they went to go get the water, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 10 that they drank of the rock, and the rock was Christ. 1 Corinthians 10, verse 1 through 4 says, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea. That is, they went through the parting of the Red Sea. And all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food. That was the manna. And all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. They too, faith in the Messiah, faith reckoned to Abraham, faith reckoned to the Israelites. It's always been about faith in the Messiah. That's what it's been about. And our salvation and sustenance comes through the Messiah as we come to him. John 4, verses 13 through 14, puts it plainly. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The abundant life starts with eternal life in Jesus, that we are satisfied in him that he satisfies our needs. He satisfies our strivings. It starts there. Revelation 21, 6 says, And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. Revelation 22, verse 17 continues, The Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let the one who hears say, Come, and let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who desires take the water of life without price. Three times calling to come. That is, the Spirit and Jesus are calling us to come. That we might take of the water of life without price. Why? Because Mark 10 tells us, verse 45, that Jesus was given as our ransom. He was the one that paid the price for us. We didn't have to do anything for it. His life was ransom for us. That's why we can take his life without price. That's why we can come to him in faith. So how can we be sure that Jesus is calling us to come in faith then? Is that really what he means to drink? Well, verse 38 begins, whoever believes in me. Which leads us into the next element of the abundant life found in Jesus. 
So whoever believes in me. The call that Jesus has placed upon you is to come to Him that you might be satisfied in Him. That's what He's calling you to do. To be satisfied in Jesus. There's an old saying that John Piper has really coined, right? Which is, when we are most satisfied in Him, He is most glorified in us. Meaning He is made known. That's an important thing for us to remember. Jesus is calling us to a life in which we are satisfied in Him. Are you satisfied in Jesus? Are you satisfied in his decisions for your life? Do you find the satisfaction in knowing that he is the one that sustains you through whatever you are walking through today? And he desires to be the one that constantly sustains you. He is the one who has given you salvation, the only one, not of any work or of any other thing, You see, a spouse will never be your salvation. A possession will never be a salvation. Your children will never be your salvation. Your work will never be your salvation. Do you thirst? Do you thirst for the goodness of of Christ every day? Or do you look at the world and say, you know what? Today, I know, Jesus, you're offering me life-giving water. But I want to drink. I want to drink of this junk. That, oh, it looks good. But you'll pay for it later. Shortly after I had surgery, I, one of the things that I have not wanted to do is for a long time was to drink uh, uh, anything that was not a diet drink. But as you guys know, after having heart surgery, one of the things they don't want you drinking is caffeine. And so for several days, for about six weeks, just as kind of a treat, I was like, ah, let's get some Diet Dr. Pepper. Now, I don't know why, but I had in my head that Dr. Pepper was caffeine-free like root beer. <laughs> so I kid you not, for six weeks, I'd be sitting there and I'd have this, and I wasn't really putting it all together. I'd be like, ah, oh, Lisa, my heart is like racing, like it wants to come out of my chest. She's like, have you done anything different? I'm like, no, nope, not at all. So one night, Trent comes into our room and he talks to us, he's like, hey, Dad, uh, you're saying about something, and I said, why don't you just have a, like a Diet Dr. Pepper or something? And he's like, well, it's got caffeine in it. I'm like, no, it does not. <laughs> and he's like, no, seriously, it does. I'm like, it does not. It's like root beer. So he pulls out his phone and he starts looking at it. He's like, dad, you're wrong. And I'm like, like, how wrong am I? And he's like, it's like 15 more grams of caffeine than Coke. And I'm like, well, this explains a lot. 
And I was startled. I mean, I really was. But the truth was, was I could continue to keep drinking this stuff that I knew made me feel like garbage. Or once I realized that that was the source of garbage, I can stop it and start drinking that which is actually going to give life. It's the same thing with Christ. Once we realize that what we're drinking of is garbage, we need to put it aside. And we need to be drinking of the one person that can give us life. So he says here, whoever believes in me. And that leads us into the second element, which is that the abundant life that Jesus offers blesses you or me with the living water of the Spirit. It blesses you or me with the living water of the Spirit. So Jesus is the fulfillment. It says, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water, Jesus being the fountain, now this he said about the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were to receive, for as yet the Spirit had not yet been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. Jesus gives us his Spirit. His Spirit so that we might, what, have living water that flows from our heart. Not trickles, but flows. That's the abundance that God's given us. Now, when we stop walking in Christ, when we start pursuing things other than Jesus to satisfy us, that flowing river becomes more like a trickle. But it's not a shortage on the one who's providing the water. It's that we've turned the faucet off. We've made the decision to limit the flowing river. We've blocked it. Isaiah 44, 3 says, For I will pour water on the thirsty land and streams on the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. When Christ, through his death and resurrection, grants us his spirit, when we confess him as Lord of our lives, that is an outpouring of his spirit. He doesn't just say to Robin, I'm going to give you a small portion of my spirit and see what you do with it. He says, listen, I'm giving you a full portion of my spirit. I'm giving you everything that the spirit has. Now run to me so that I might be the fountain. You ever go to those water fountains that you're expecting it to be a, like a whole, you know, like a rainbow arc? and you get a trickle and you got to put your mouth super close to the metal. I don't do it. I'll, back, I'll go thirsty. Right? Hate putting my mouth on anything that's metal like that. I have no idea. Weirds me out, grosses me out. I want no part of it. But you see what a trickle does? A trickle makes it almost impossible to taste. But you ever been to a water fountain where you're expecting it to be a trickle? and it smacks you in the face. <laughs> you back up from that sucker, and you're like, let's go, right? <laughs> Turn it on, right? It's just right there. That's what we want to be. We want to drink of the fountain where the water's shooting straight up, where all we've got to do or anybody else has to do is simply taste. 
No work involved. Just the beauty of Christ flowing from us. And you know it. Isaiah 58, 11 adds, and the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places and make your bones strong and you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. That's what the Spirit offers us. 1 Corinthians 6, 19 through 20, or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you whom you have from God? You are not your own for you were bought with a price so glorify God in your body. Why? Because we're a temple of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit resides in you for those who have confessed Jesus as Lord. So let's notice a couple things here about the living water of the Spirit. The first is that living water produces fruit. It produces fruitfulness. Produces fruitfulness. In John 14, verses 26 through 28, it says, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father for the Father is greater than I. Right there, he says here, what's the Holy Spirit gonna do? He's going to teach us. He's going to reveal his word to us. But in us, he's going to teach and work within our lives. And what do we see as a part of that? We see his peace. We see his love. Galatians 5, through 23 tells us, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. The abundant life is experiencing the peace of God, the love of God, the kindness of God, the gentleness of God, the patience of God, the goodness of God, and in so doing, as he works in our hearts, we become that same wellspring that goes forth that others might see him in us. You see, the abundant life is experiencing these things in ways that we couldn't otherwise. And the abundant life, this overflowing river that is given through the Holy Spirit is not just about what is happening inwardly to us, but is also what people are experiencing outwardly. Notice that this is an outflow from the heart. Yes, we see the fruits of love in our life. Yes, we see the fruit of peace. Yes, we see the fruit of patience, right? There are times in our lives we sit back. I don't know if you guys have had this experience where you're like, wow, I would have never been patient in that situation before. But God, you are doing something new in me. God, I would have never been kind in this situation. In fact, Lord, everything inside of me right now wants to cry out that this is not kind. And yet you let, allowed me to respond with kindness and with gentleness where I would have responded with severeness and harshness. And oh God, I don't know how you did it, but I have self-control today where in other days I've just not had it. And it comes from the outflowing of the Spirit. Jeremy Affelt, the former San Francisco Giants relief pitcher who earned the win in Game 7 of the 2014 World Series and 
He points this out. He said, Jesus said he came so that we may have life and have it more abundantly. He gave us the message. He gave us the example. And he gave us that quality of life when he was on earth. When he ascended, these things didn't leave with him. He gave them to us. He teaches us to live by them. And when we do, people see him. It's our awesome calling to represent him and reflect him into the world. Isn't that an awesome example of fruitfulness? That he produces fruit in us, which then outflows so that others might enjoy of that fruit as well. Did you ever think of yourself as a fruit tree? That's what he's saying, though. He's saying that you actually display the life of Jesus in you, and as people witness that, they too see the tree of life, that is Jesus, in you. That they actually see the fruit and can take of that fruit and eat. And so that brings us to the second element of this living water. It witnesses to the truth of Jesus. It witnesses to the truth of Jesus. John 15, verse 26 through 27. But when the helper comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will bear witness about me. And you also will bear witness because you've been with me from the beginning. The Holy Spirit bears witness in ourselves, meaning he testifies in our own life that we are Christ's but he also testifies to the world of who Christ is through us. You see, he witnesses to the truth of Jesus. We've been praying, and I hope you have been, for at least one non-believer in your sphere of influence, whether it's at work, whether it's a neighbor, somebody on your sports team, somebody at school that sits next to you in class, or classmate, somebody down the road. My hope is that we are continuing to do this as we saw earlier this year that in Luke that we are called to be catchers of men. My hope is that we're still doing that and that what we're praying for is opportunity for Christ to be seen in each of us. Next Sunday, my hope is this Christmas Eve Sunday that you would be praying and engaging with people who don't know Christ looking for opportunity, whether it's to invite them on a Sunday with us or whether it's to invite them into your home or some unique way of expressing the gospel to them in a tangible way. That's our hope. And I would encourage you to use this Advent season as a natural opportunity to bring the word and hope of Jesus to them, that Christ is calling them that he's calling you, that he's calling me. He wants us to be witnesses to the truth of Jesus. The truth is, is that our faucets need to be open wide. And I think in many ways, when it comes to being witnesses of the truth of Jesus, we turn the faucet down. Because in some way, we think we're gonna be more satisfied if we protect ourselves in actually proclaiming who Jesus really is. 
Jesus wants to be flowing out of you with his living water. He wants his spirit to flow freely through you. And the only way for his spirit to be seen in you is to be with people who don't know him. Now we can see it in one another, but his call is not for the fruit to be seen by believers, it is that this living water is seen by the lost. It pours out. Those who have been blessed are to be a blessing. That is the life of the Spirit. Those who have been blessed are to be a blessing. And it is only found through Jesus and the granting of His Spirit. Romans 8, 16 through 17 says, The Spirit Himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be also glorified with him. Our lives are to be about his glory. Do we really believe that? Or do we believe that our lives are about our own pleasure, our own pursuits, our own abundance? Jeremy Affelt said one thing in the article that I was reading that I quoted from here a minute ago. But I loved what he said. He said, our idea of abundance is how much we have, often in relation to others. But God's idea of abundance is meeting our needs so that we can give to one another. That's important. How do you view abundance? Do you never feel like you have enough? Never feel like you have enough money, enough attention, enough sex. Never feel like you have enough success. The abundance that we seek needs to come from Jesus. Finally, the living water of the Holy Spirit resides in believer's life at the moment of salvation. It resides in the believer at the moment of salvation. You see, verse 39 says, Now this he said about the Spirit, whom those he believed in were to receive. For as yet the Spirit had not been given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. But at the moment that Jesus was glorified, we know in Acts 2, following his resurrection and his ascension, we know in that following week, the Spirit came across, excuse me, came upon the believers. 1 Corinthians 12, 13 affirms this when it says, For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slave or free, all were made to drink of one spirit. The Spirit of God is granted to you if you have repented and believed on Christ. You don't need to question that. If you have genuinely repented and believed on Christ, the Spirit has been given to you, his living water. You have been sealed by the Spirit as a guarantee of your salvation. Do you see how Jesus was born for our abundance? That he might give of his Spirit so that we might know what real life is and experience real life with him. My hope this morning is that as we continue to move through this Advent season, that you would find satisfaction not in the gifts of the world, 
but in the gift of the Spirit through coming to Jesus. And may you see Jesus is the great gift giver who gives to all and calls all to come to him. May it be that we are one of those that experience the blessing and power of the living water of his spirit. And may we go forth in the boldness and goodness of God, knowing that it's not ourselves or this world that brings satisfaction, but it is only in Christ that we will experience salvation, sustenance, and satisfaction, the abundant life. Let's pray. Father, this morning, we rejoice over the fact that you are a God of abundance, abundant goodness. And that abundant goodness flows from your spirit in the lives of each and all who have confessed you as Lord of their lives. God, may we see our lives as one where we get to experience the blessing of your spirit at work within us, but may we also see our lives as one in which you look to display your spirit through us. And may others know Jesus because of our lives. May it be so that this week, that each one here this morning would have the opportunity to share the genuine hope of Jesus to someone who has yet to believe. May it be our lives true, that our lives reflect this truth and that they see the truth of the Spirit at work within us, testifying to the truth of who Jesus really is and testifying to our need to repent and believe on him. May we drink of your rock, the water that you have provided, Jesus, and may we be fulfilled. And we ask this in your name, amen.